2: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Ferry. Welcome to another rebroadcast from the RTB Archives.
0: From Brandeis University, welcome to Recall This Book, where we assemble scholars and writers from different disciplines to make sense of contemporary issues, problems, and events. Today, uh, as usual, uh, your hosts are me, John Plotz. Hello. And to my left, the inimitable Elizabeth Ferry. Hello. And we are joined to my further left by Christina Thompson, author of a compelling new book, See People, the Puzzle of Polynesia. Hello. Hi. Uh, Hey, it's awesome to have you. Um, And her book is going to be at the heart of our conversation today, which is And the conversation is going to be about how cultures and communities are imagined, especially the case of Polynesian ones, how cultural revivals and renewals occur through what media and also, you know, very germane for our – recall this book – organizing principle, the role that people's conceptions of their shared past play in those revival movements. So we're going to begin with with Sea uh, People. And Elizabeth will then add an article that over the past quarter century has had a huge impact on how people think about Polynesian cultural connections and cultural identity. And as always, <laughs> we'll end up with recallable books, which are suggestions for further readings. So I'm going to resist the temptation to introduce Christina as thoroughly as she deserves. I hope you will look her up online on your way to ordering her book. But I will say she's the editor of the Harvard Review and since since 2000, I think. Is that right, Christina? So Correct. almost two yeah. decades as editor of the Harvard Review and author of a previous book, a 2009 memoir, Come Ashore and We Will Kill and Eat You All, which I have to say wins the prize for the best book title that we've ever had in the <laughs> RTB booth. Um, so, Christina, you know, often the way we start here is to just ask the um, guest to uh, kick us off with by telling us about their book. So, can I throw it over to you?
1: Okay. Um, so, this book. Um, let's see. I've been running about the Pacific for I don't know how many decades, several. And um, I wrote this earlier book that you mentioned, Come on Shore and We Will Kill and Eat You All, which was really – I thought of it as a history of contact between – uh, Europeans and the indigenous people of New Zealand who are Polynesians known as Maori. Mm-hmm. So that was what my understanding of that book was. It was actually sold in the end as and shelved as a memoir because
0: mm. – My bad. I just called it a memoir.
1: No, Sorry. no, no. Yeah. It's, it is a yeah. memoir actually. It's just yeah. I was resisting the idea because what, what I really ended up doing was looking at this history sort of refracted through my own experience of having married into this Maori family. So to me, I was really focused on the history, but I used my own experience as this kind of lens – so there's a chapter in that book called Hawaii, which is a chapter which told the story. It was, it was set in Hawaii, in Honolulu, actually. And it had to do with the fact that my, father's, uh, sorry, my husband's father died, and he had to go back to New Zealand. And so when he was gone, I was there in Honolulu thinking about New Zealand. And it's sort of, you know, the big sense of the Pacific and the Polynesian diaspora was very present to me. So I wrote this chapter about that. And then when I was done with that book, I thought... That's where I'm going to go next. Mm. So I'm going to go back further in time. I'm going to go wider in the Pacific, and I'm going to look at the first people who come to the Pacific, who are the Polynesians in this in this expansion.
0: Um, And so your your book, I mean, I don't want to caricature it, but you tell it. You you are telling like several stories at once because you're telling the story of the settlement of Polynesia, but you're also telling. A kind of scholarly story of how later scholars, some Western, mostly Western, not all Western, then come to kind of reconstruct that story.
2: Yeah. I mean, one thing that I thought was so um, great about the sort of tacking back and forth, um, we can use yet another (laughs) non-sailor using a sailor (laughs) metaphor, which I have learned a lot about that phenomenon. Careful you don't jive. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. is uh, one of the things I loved about that was sort of, you know, you pose this puzzle of, you know, sort of how did people get there? How did all these people get to all these places? Um, But then the other puzzle is how do we know that? Right? And so there's all this um, mobilization of linguistics and archaeology and ethnography and uh, mythology, um, geology, and I just think that's a really... um, uh, the, the sort of feeling of these multiple stories being told works really well.
1: Thanks. That's, uh, that, that is a good description of what it is. I mean, what, what happened was that when I got this idea that I'm going to tell this story of the, uh, you know, the epic history of the Polynesian expansion, which is, I think, what it is. And then I had a moment and I thought, actually... That's a novel. You know, that's like Moana. I mean, mm-hmm. I can't do that mm. because I don't have the material. It's too far back in time. It, they aren't – they're oral cultures. There's no What? what – what is it? What is the evidence? What am I going to use to tell that story? So then I thought, well, okay, what – what, what do we know? And there's quite a lot because people have been thinking about this for hundreds of years. You know, pretty much as soon as Europeans arrive in the Pacific, they meet Polynesians on these little islands and they go, whoa, how'd you get here? Who mm-hmm. are you? Where'd mm-hmm. you come right. from? So as soon as that question gets asked, which is, you know, literally kind of at the end of the 16th century, you know, it's mainly mm-hmm. in the 17th and 18th and then into the 19th and on forward. But I mean, it's a lot of centuries to be compiling um, – Sort of inquiry, as it were, yeah. mm-hmm.
0: and inquiries that already that seem commonsensical to us too, like word list inquiries, like noticing linguistic commonality.
1: Like that. Right, absolutely. Right. I mean, they start figuring out the word, the language, the linguistic stuff much earlier than you would think, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they're the sailors make word lists for practical purposes, right. mm-hmm. and then you know. Um, there's there are all those different all these even pathways to thinking about all these different avenues so there's linguistics as you say there's archaeology there's what does the mythology tell us but you know and even the mythology is tricky because it, you know it's oral traditions are themselves very very slippery sources sure yeah, yeah. and yeah. we didn't really no one even had access to them except people who spoke those languages until the mid-19th century or early 19th century so there's just a lot of really interesting um, approaches to the problem and that's what I ended up tracking.
0: Yeah. So Mm -hmm. I want to get to the end, the last few chapters of the book, which is the moment, as I sort of alluded to already, the moment of like cultural renewal by way of rediscovery of ancient Polynesian common identity. But I kind of wanted to ask you in terms of your own process for writing this, Um, Did you do you think of it as a book that was written from the present backward or I mean, in other words, were they were were the present day issues, the ones that were on your mind and then you had to go back into the back into the past to solve them? Or were you thinking about it as beginning with like. Stories.
1: That's kind of interesting. I think what I think I almost came at it like a sort of pincer movement because mm-hmm. on the one hand, I was very um, familiar with and very interested in what's at the end of the book, which I you're referring to, which is the um, the uh, uh, the reenactments. Mm-hmm. of Polynesian voyaging, the, ex- yeah. the experimental mm-hmm. voyaging movement. And then I was also very familiar with, because it had been kind of my my own historical research and background for a long time, the early European explorers. Mm-hmm. So I had a really clear sense of what the explorers ah, found mm-hmm. when they arrived. Right. And then I had this kind of vivid sort of sense of what had been done in the last 50 years or even more recently. Right. And what I wasn't so clear on when I started, what, what happened in between? Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, yeah. So that well, was, yeah. But yeah. interesting that they both have to do with voyages. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the end, it's funny because when I got, it wasn't until I got to the end of the book and I suddenly realized that, you know, I had these different, the, the two bodies of information that came from experience of the actual sea and, and, and it's, the islands themselves were the sort of container for the whole thing. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not a sailor. So yeah. I mean, <laughs> have you
0: been out on any of the h- historical vessels or have you no, like, you've not never really. been on a canoe that would be capable of
1: covering? Well, st- I have stood on the Hokulea. I yeah. mean, I have oh, been Hokulea on itself. it. Oh, the Hokulea wow. itself. It's the Hokulea wow. itself. In fact, in Boston. Oh, wow. When it came to Boston in the Malamahonua Voyager on the World. yeah. Can we pivot to the
0: sort of cultural renewal story and and maybe tell people about the Hakulea Now that I know you've actually stood on it, I'm a Gog. So can you, can you walk us through like Mao and Nainoa Thompson and folks like that?
1: Right. So um, without making it too long, um, the... What happened was that in the mid – in the 1950s, there was a guy in New Zealand, a historian named Andrew Sharp, who wrote a book that – in which he asserted that there was really no possibility that anyone could have sailed intentionally, navigated intentionally beyond 300 miles. And this just just made people insane. It made Mm -hmm. – he was not himself a sailor. And the people Mm -hmm. that were really driven mad by this were not just so much Polynesians themselves who were all enraged, but also a couple of sailors, uh, namely a guy named David Lewis and a guy named Ben Finney one uh, um, physician, the other an anthropologist. And they are really the people who got started thinking about, okay – well, so let's look at it practically. How was it done? How could it have been done? How might it have been done? And David Lewis figured out, and when he did a lot of uh, sort of ethnographic work, an untrained eth- mm. ethnographer. He just went out in his sailboat into the Western Pacific and interviewed uh, navigators and, who, and asked them, so h- h- how do you do it? And there, there were some navigators left in places like Santa Cruz Islands and in Micronesia. There really weren't any people practicing non-instrumental navigation left in Polynesia. So that wasn't, you couldn't just go to Polynesia and say, okay, guys, how do you do but people didn't know anymore. They hadn't done it for a long time. And the really long distance travel really hadn't been done for a long time. People would have been going between Tahiti and the Tuamotus and yeah. their little boats or whatever. But the really long distance stuff, you know, Tahiti to Hawaii, for example, hundreds and hundreds of years since that had been done. I just
0: thought of an analogy. Maybe it's a bad one, but that Albert Lord went to Yugoslavia, not to Greece, when he was trying to prove the Homeric oral tradition. Exactly. Like sometimes you have to go to kind of a proximate place Mm -hmm. where the cultural practice is Exactly, Mm Exactly.
1: Exactly. That's that's a perfect parallel. That's exactly right. So he got these guys to tell him what they did, and he wrote it all down in this book called We the Navigators, which is a totally great book. Um, and a guy named Ben Finney decided to try and – he was interested in canoe design. So he decided to try and rebuild a replica canoe. It's funny because his first attempt was a failure. The canoe – his first canoe skidded across the water sideways. <laughs> the, oh, it had no keel. It had know, no keel. The hulls yeah. were rounded. And uh, it was yeah. based yeah. on some model that they had which just like, nope, uh, <laughs> that's uh, wrong. Uh, yeah. So then they went to Hawaii and they formed – well, Lewis wasn't that. But uh, Finney and some other guys formed this thing called the Polynesian Voyaging Society in the ni- early ninety. 1970s in Hawaii. And they built a replica uh, canoe, but not out of, you know, they built it out of fiberglass and stuff. It was modern in that sense, but it was based on an old model. Um, and they decided that then in the bicentennial year of 1976, they would sail it to Tahiti and back. So then what happened was they they built their canoe and that was great. And then they went, okay, who's going to navigate? Mm. And they didn't have anybody. Mm -hmm. So they asked David Lewis. And Lewis said, well, I recommend you go to Sadowal and try and get this guy named Mao Piailug. Mm. Mm -hmm. And they asked Mao to do it. And he came and navigated the canoe um, from Hawaii to Tahiti in that year using only – his own understanding yeah. of what was going just on. Just
0: look at a map while Christina's telling this story. I mean that is no mean feat. You know, well <laughs> I don't I don't care how much geosynchronous tracking you might have. That's impressive. Well yeah. plus
1: the really, really amazing thing, I mean I have a, a slide that I sometimes use when I talk about this, which is if you look at where Mao came from, it's 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 over in Micronesia. It's a smallish area. He it's an, a a group of islands that run mostly east-west. And it's, he wasn't traveling from there to New Zealand routinely or something. I mean, right. he, he lived within that region. And right. they asked him to navigate the canoe from Hawaii, a place that he had not been to, yeah. to Tahiti, a place he had not right. been mm-hmm. to, right. which is a distance of like 2,400 miles North right. south, right. which mm-hmm. means that you're crossing latitudes, right. and means that sky is changing in right. a major way. Like different stars right. are available to right. you. I mean, and right. it,
0: and, I, and the and the wind bands are all east west. It's in the, mm-hmm.
1: well, they're east west except in the middle because you, oh, yeah, you, right. right. you, you got to cross over the equator. You've got nothing, right? You've got the equator the Doldrums, right. the doldrums yeah. right. exactly. Yeah. So I mean, it was massive what yeah. they asked him to do. It a lot of yeah. times, you know, we just go, oh yeah, Mao did it, but whoa, you know, and then you know, there's. Yeah, the story goes on, but you know that is that right. was the amazing first thing, and then younger people from Hawaii, including Nainoa Thompson, uh, subsequently piloted the canoe, learned how to do it, and piloted the canoe, and then several other people from different islands learned how, and they Polynesian Voyaging Society, you know, expanded non-instrumental navigation and navigate and and can, wayfinding. Can you pull out
0: mm-hmm. the Bishop Museum observatory story because I love
1: that. <laughs> well, cool. so 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 with Mao – um, so Lewis is there with Mao and 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 every and they're all there and they're thinking like, OK, Mao, you know, you, we got this thing we want you to do and it's just going to be – this is going to be hard. This is tricky. But we need to show you the sky because he there's no way he could know what stars to use mm-hmm. because he'd never been there. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. he wasn't going to be able to just invent – he wasn't going to be able to know what his star compass was telling him without understanding of these constellations. So they took him to the Bishop Museum Planetarium and they rolled the sky, you know. A, the way they sh- they moved it, the way he would see it, so they yeah. trained him on the sky, and and Ninoa later um, studied in the planetarium as well in order to really understand what the sky was going to do. Yeah, mm. yeah, I it was a, kind of a great solution to the problem. Yeah, I mean, and also, I mean, sometimes people think, oh yeah, it's like it's like now you've done something that. Is modern And so it shouldn't – it's sort of like not fair. It's like cheating. But, of course, <laughs> if you'd been – if you'd grown up making those journeys, that but sky would, would have be known Right. You would have. Right. Yeah. right. right. So right. Right. it was no, but, a shortcut. Yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: to me, it just had amazing resonance with the other part of your pincer, which is the Enlightenment moment where Cook met Tupaya. So Tupaya being like a, a – a wait, Tahitian? Is that right? Sorry.
1: Yeah. He was – well, he was actually from Raiyatia. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. But Tahiti but, was a stand-in for that Yeah. But Yeah.
0: Right. So uh, so so that moment where Cook and Tupaya are trying to exchange geographic knowledge on totally different bases, but they nonetheless, there's this fascinating chart, which you will see in the book, which represents a kind of syncretic, you know, synthesized knowledge.
1: Right, mm-hmm. right, right, right. I mean, there's all yeah. kinds of theories about how that chart was made, because on the one hand, it's 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 basically a chart that Tupaya drew of all the islands that he knew. And it's a lot of yeah. islands. And then people are looking at it going, OK, w- which islands are those? And some of them yeah. is clear what they are, and some of them it's really not clear what they are. Yeah. And then some of them are in a strange orientation in relation to each other. Right. So there are all these theories about how that kind of happened. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so – it's an, but it's it is truly one of the great documents of history because of it is a, a physical graphical representation of two completely different sort of bodies of knowledge or ways of thinking about geography yeah. coming together and being yeah, fused. That's incredibly
0: mm-hmm.
2: exciting to me and an ways
1: of thinking about images and what images are supposed to be telling you. Right. Well, absolutely. I mean, one of the other things about Tupai, of course, is that there's a whole there's a whole collection of, of paintings that he did um, that also
0: reproduced we in the book. Some, yes. mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, one.
1: I think, (laughs) but there are a lot. Right, (laughs) there are a lot of them. And 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 if you you know one of the things if you look at Polynesian um, uh, graphical tradition or 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 decorative traditions, it's basically geometric, uh, abstract. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's some representation, but stylized, very Mm -hmm. stylized. Mm -hmm. You know, the turtle. Whatever you know, some right. other kind of thing, and here he is, all of a sudden being exposed to people who are drawing sort of naturalistically, and he ta- he he starts to do it. He starts to do it in himself, himself. and it's so interesting, it's just a fabulously. Like a, I think a brilliant person, Tupaya, mm-hmm. yeah. and mm-hmm. hugely adventurous intellectually. Yeah. 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 that's the way yeah. I see him. Sort of yeah. curious and yeah. curious. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But to,
0: now, just to flash back to the '70s, now to make the connection, because Elizabeth's going to bring up an article from the '90s. But so, so there's this moment which you describe so compellingly in the book, where uh, right, you've laid out the sort of uh, the the backstory of the Hakulea, which is definitely a story of collaboration. Across cultures. But the when it is launched, you describe, like, the crowds in the Big Island w- to watching it leave harbor in right. Hawaii. It, it clearly is this profound moment of, like, cultural—I don't know what's the right word—empowerment, renaissance? I mean, mm-hmm. it, yeah.
1: Revitalization. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I think it was understood— at the time, but in hindsight, it's really been clearly understood as a very important moment in um, Hawaiian self-determination or, mm-hmm. or sort of, uh, yeah, a kind of renaissance is what they always talk about. And it coincides with a lot of other things like the revival of hula, the mm-hmm. opening of a school of Hawaiian studies, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a whole discipline of Hawaiian studies officially at the University of Hawaii. All these things are happening at the same time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's all this interest in language. There's interest in, in dance. There's interest in tattooing coming back. All mm-hmm. of these things are happening sort of in the 70s, and the hokule is absolutely symbolic of that. And it's it's really, the hokule is absolutely 100% um, the embodiment, a symbol of Hawaiian pride and Mm -hmm. and pan-Polynesian pride Mm -hmm. because it is, of course, shared in the sense that it's the voyaging history of all the people of the islands. Well, I was
0: actually going to ask you to unpack that one a little bit more because like when, okay, so as an American citizen going to Hawaii, it's really interesting. Like I've always gone there with a bunch of other 19th century academics so you get (laughs) the 19th century backstory of Hawaii vis-a-vis the United States, which is you know you can look it up it ain't good <laughs> but but I was wondering about how much that is about Hawaii specifically or Hawaii metonymically like do people think of that as standing in for a whole Polynesian cult like, pe- there's a sense of pan Polynesian connectedness there.
1: very very definitely yeah. and it, mm-hmm. and it, it, what happened was that the um, I mean the the best exi- sort of um, way to point this out or suggest show this is that when the Hokulea sails on its first voyage from with Mao you know uh, navigating from Hawaii down to Tahiti, when they arrive in Tahiti, now they've been out of radio contact because they have no radios mm-hmm. on the ship or on the canoe. But they are, but they have had a companion vessel which has been in radio contact with with um, Tahiti, and. When they arrive in Tahiti, there are like 17,000 people in the harbor, you know, mm. at in mm-hmm. Papiete, mm. waiting for the canoe. Mm-hmm. And they're all Tahitians. I yeah. mean, mm-hmm. they aren't a bunch of Hawaiians who've come down yeah. to wait for it. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. they're like yeah. islanders in in Hawaii, and everybody is so excited. Yeah. And then it, that happens over and over and over again. The canoe goes to other islands, and everybody is so ecstatic. So – and then, of course, you know, they develop these – they develop, you know, navigational schools involving Cook Islanders um, and, um, and, and people from – you know, the Marquesas and people from Mm. every Samoa and I would wear it all over the place. Is New Zealand rounded into that? Oh, yeah. New Zealand's definitely part of it.
2: Well, I mean, this is what seems so interesting and so connected to what is being revealed in the study of this puzzle of Polynesia is this kind of whole new way of thinking about what these pieces of land are and how connected they are to each other, right? And I don't know if this is the moment where I can bring sure, in, because yeah, yeah, yeah. um, it's this sort of all about kind of trying to crystallize that um, Notion. So, the, the article that I wanted to talk about is by, and I, my apologies to our listeners who um, will notice if I'm not uh, pronouncing this correctly, Apeli Hauofa, who's a Tongan, um, a Fijian writer and anthropologist of Tongan descent. He was born from Tongan missionaries in uh, the territory of Papua. Uh, he lived from 1939 to 2009, um, was trained and practiced as a um, as an anthropologist and a sociologist. Um, and he's the um, author of a number of works, including uh, both works of anthropology and essays and poetry. But what I wanted to talk about was a very famous essay that he wrote in, um, 19, published in 1994 called Our Sea of Islands. And it's really a kind of um, um, exhortation and argument about rather than seeing these things as um, islands in the sea, we should think about them as a sea of islands. And he argues that Pacific Islanders were, I'm quoting, connected rather than separated by the sea. Far from being sea-locked peoples marooned on coral or volcanic tips of land, islanders formed an oceanic community based on voyaging. So it really seems like this, you know, the kinds of responses you're talking about to these um, wayfaring expeditions are instantiations and kind of um, performances of that idea.
1: Yeah, I think that – I think it's true that that, Pol- that a, a lot of Polynesians, uh, you know, readily l- like uh, gravitate toward that notion of, mm-hmm. you know, we are connected through the sea. We are all one people. We've been separated. It's interesting that the um, – you know, one of the problems, of course, the consequences of colonialism in the Pacific is that the islands are separated by nation now. Mm. So you have, and also by language, because mm-hmm. my husband, for example, when we he doesn't speak French. So mm-hmm. when we go to French Polynesia, he doesn't can't speak to the to the Tahitians. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they don't have exactly got. They don't really have a language in common because his Maori isn't that great. Mm. So mm. Um, if he
0: did have good Maori, could Tahitians
1: and they would do better. Yeah, they do better. They would do mm-hmm. a lot better. They would do well, but yeah. it is and wouldn't be super smooth, but it would yeah. be. They would have a lot in yeah, common, right. so and he can understand also, a lot of stuff. But it isn't. I yeah. mean, language loss is a also another. Yeah, language loss is a consequence like, of the whole thing. Absolutely, yeah, so. the fact that he doesn't, his Maori, right. you know, and I mean, is I'm all.
2: sure he's not the only one, right? Right, yeah. so, totally, yeah, he's no.
1: not. So, and Hawaiians, the, you know, anyway, but that, but that sense of of connectedness is really. Uh, it, it's. It, I just actually wrote a little piece about traveling in Polynesia with a Polynesian. Mm. Because, mm. you know, I go behind him when we go when we travel yeah. in Polynesia. Yeah, I yeah, stay yeah. behind him and yeah. he engages with people because mm-hmm. everybody yeah. loves him.
2: Yeah. yeah, you mentioned that in yeah. the book. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. Um, one of the things I thought was so, so fascinating about this essay, and it's, it's really beautifully written, and, um, you know, it's written in this sort of context of – Um, particular arguments about development and dependency and these kind of nation-based ideas, and he's kind of arguing against that. Um, He describes it as Mm. a form of belittlement, right? This sort of notion that all these tiny little poor islands and they don't have enough resources and they're too dependent on remittances, and Mm. he's sort of proposing this alternative view based on wayfaring and, and sort of proposing things like remittances and traveling to go to uh, university in other places or to work in other places as a kind of contemporary version of wayfaring
0: and he uh, you isn't know wayfinding by sorry, the way sorry
1: wayfinding anyhow <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> um, you know the thing about it's interesting about that um that Our Sea of Islands concept uh, has been picked up by so many people. I mean, mm-hmm. almost nobody's written about the Pacific in since then without using HOFA's terminology. It's such a
0: beautiful phrase. It's I totally nice, thought it was like yeah. a 19th century it, poem or it really, something. Yeah, yeah, it really yeah. is. Like, it really is. Yeah. And,
1: and, and there's one of the... Um, Just even in our anthropology, one of the interesting kind of newer – it's not really new, but I mean something that people talk about a lot these days is that – is these areas of – what do they call them? They call them sort of interaction spheres, Mm -hmm. right? So really what you have is – people talk about isolated islands and there are some isolated islands no matter what he says easter island is far away from everything else and it's hard to get to and you know there there's definitely and there's there are there are breaks between different groups because again partly language yeah um, or colonial language and also who's running the government Uh, Mm -hmm. he seems a little uh, even kind of like um
2: like performative or sort of hortatory in making the argument. Like he's almost trying to call it into being. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think he Absolutely. says that explicitly at
0: yeah. one point. He yeah. says this sense of why should I teach in a way that creates shame for me or something yeah. like yeah.
2: that. Yeah. He's or, sort of like, yeah. this is this is yeah. a better way to think about it and let's sign yeah. on to it.
1: Yeah. Right. But that big picture of our sea of violence where everyone's included mm-hmm. and yeah. is kind of idealized right. and what is... On the ground is, and I think this is the thing that a lot of people have kind of recognized more recently is that, say, Fiji, Tonga, Samoa is a is a cl- big cluster, a yeah. lot of interaction there. Mm-hmm. You know, Tahiti, the Tuamotus, Marquesas that's French Polynesia that's an interaction yeah. sphere. Yeah. Right? And And that what you have are these kind of interaction spheres, and that in the old days you probably that's probably was also true. Yeah. Right. You know, that there was a lot of, tra- yeah, of interaction and travel in those right. areas, and this question of how much interaction there was uh, between these spheres is the yeah. one that's kind of, you know, a little bit unclear. Um, uh-huh. How much travel yeah. was there between Tahiti and Hawaii, for example? Yeah. That's yeah. a long trip. Yeah. Right. So, one yeah. of
2: the things I thought was so interesting about the essay was his, he, he sort of describes it um, coming to the idea and kind of giving birth to this to this argument. and. Um, he he places it at the moment of driving the island of uh, big island of Hawaii and seeing mm. the kind of growth of his as an island, as these volcanic deposits are being put down and this kind of notion that Hawaii is growing. Mm. Mm. Um, mm. And uh, I just thought that was such an interesting kind of um, it's not exactly the same argument. Right. It's not the same argument as saying, well, this is all part of one Oceania. Mm-hmm. But it's like even the places themselves they appear to be, and maybe this is even more kind of telling in the moment of rising seawaters, right? They appear to be kind of about to be engulfed, but actually they're not.
0: Okay, so we've put the wayfinding and hula revival movement of the 70s and then also, Elizabeth, you're looking in the 90s to this kind of pushback against development, you know, the kind of um, implicitly imperialistic neoliberal logic of development and territorial. So in the 90s, you have this kind of sea of islands as a positive identity. Mm -hmm. How does it play out like over the Polynesian sphere. Like in New Zealand, how do these things percolate through? Or do you they? know, it's
1: really funny because I don't I, I I haven't lived in New Zealand, so I often don't really know what's mm. going on there. But I know that there are some interesting sort of um there's there's like a way that I understand this personally, which is that um I will never be a member. You know? Mm-hmm. I, I will never be included. But yeah. I will be. I can be accepted, but I yeah. will never be included. if but You know what I mean?
0: But your kids. Mm-hmm. But
1: my kids will be. Yeah, absolutely. And I have a special standing as their mother. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. it's okay that I can. I mean, when when I say to my husband, you know, people, there's always a certain amount of pushback if you write about a culture that you don't belong to, right? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. just the way the time we yeah, yeah, live yeah. in. Right. Sure. So I, or we're, particularly one that has been. You know, right, a marginalized. marginalized, absolutely, and yeah. by the people that you represent, right. specifically. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. So there we go. <laughs> yeah. So that's the yeah. situation I find myself in, and I worry about it a lot. Mm-hmm. And I, I get anxious about it because I am don't want to get attacked, and I yeah. fear it. So It's awesome because
0: anthropologists never worry about that at all. Right. That's so great. <laughs> yes, I know. they yes. so calm about it. They're so it. lucky. Right. There's yes. something about the veranda that <laughs> they sit on. I like, think. <laughs> can you, can yes. you talk to yes. about that, Elizabeth? <laughs> <laughs> is, <laughs> is it the genetics you guys have every night, or what is it? It's so deeply untrue,
2: actually. It might have been. Some <laughs> Best, yeah, I wish you guys thought about it less, honestly. I know, right? <laughs> I have to say, one of the things I like about this uh, Our Sea of Islands... Uh, article is that he describes the much
1: maligned anthropologist. It's oh, like really uh,
0: funny. sticking
1: up for the anthropologist. I, I mean, I, yeah. is quite inclusive, you know. His, <laughs> yeah. his vision of, of what yeah. he in another article that's related to this is written a few years later. He talks about how everyone can be an oceanic person. Yeah. And it doesn't matter kind of where you come from if you take it as if, if you care about it and you take it on as a... Yeah, and,
2: and as in, a, in this one as well, he says, you know, conquerors come, conquerors go. The ocean remains mother only to her children. This this mother has a big heart though. She adopts anyone who loves her. Mm. And actually I it's Based on what I've been reading, there's been some
1: pushback on that too,
2: right? That that's sort of a little bit too positive. Or well, mm-hmm. there's
1: always pushback. Of, yeah. I mean that's half half of his work is sort of pointing out how much division there's been every time he tried – you know, people have tried to say let's be right. let's be pan this or pan that. And then mm-hmm. he goes, no, no, we're – you know, we're Samoans. Yeah. You're Maori. Right, you're or or something that's, else. Or, that's writing us out. Or, that's, whatever. You know, yeah, I mean there's yeah. a lot of squabbling. It's fa- inter-family. Yeah. But it's still yeah. squabbling. Yeah, It also seems
2: maybe just a particular moment, like I think you can locate kind of things like this essay in a lot of different fields and a lot of different moments in the 1980s and 1990s. Yep. And then not surprisingly, they get a, they get a um, you know, people who come later who say, well, that actually doesn't, you know... I actually do this or that, or maybe it's, you know, going too far in that direction. And we have to kind of
1: I, I actually had the experience when I reread it recently of feeling that it was it had a generosity to it that mm-hmm. I that mm-hmm. I felt was kind of had kind of a little bit disappeared mm. in some of the discourse um, these days. Mm. And I and I I understand why. Um, mm-hmm. But I but I feel like there is um, there is a sharpness and that kind of. um uh, territorialism. I mean, it's, all, it, it's always a matter of territorialism. Yeah. And he had a good speaking position. He was an important person, and he mm-hmm. had he he a lot of people listened to him, mm-hmm. and so he could afford to be generous, right. in, in a way, yeah. you know. Um. And there are people since then who have been a lot more, um, less willing to see that mm. N- mm. inclusion.
0: So has there been a durability of those distinctive markers of? Polynesianness, Like, wayfinding seems like such a distinctive cultural marker to me. Like, there's certain kinds of things that if you look at cultural revivals like all over Europe in the 19th century or the Americas, that are just kind of, you know, like foods, languages, there are certain things that, like, have common, even though they're marked as different there's a structural similarity wayfinding is not like that hula is mm. actually interesting i guess dance is a common tattoo thing, mm. tattoo mm. right that's really interesting huge
1: tattooing revival going on right now huge that uh, and, which i
0: definitely saw in hawaii yeah, yeah well yeah, and yeah. in new zealand people are tattooing yeah. their faces again right. which
1: is, was not Amazing. done when i was there and,
0: and mm, when you say ago. people would one have to be maori to do that or could it would pakeha also I be know. i don't know
1: yeah. i wouldn't do it mm. i mean yeah. it, would like, it, like, it would be like it would be i crazy. think so but i mean there's
0: such a Tattooing culture. Of, yeah. tattooing culture there's such a general tattooing culture yeah
1: yeah like, but the face mm, no yeah. right I enough. think that'd be I think that would be right. a, it's no really...
0: tattooing is a we should do a tattooing topic actually that'd be great but um but it, how about the wayfinding thing like has people taken that up is that a like, Polynesians generally take pride in that? Oh, like yeah. You see oh, stamps yeah. or whatever. Well, let's yeah. see. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. I
1: mean, I think everybody, I think, you know, so the, when the Hoku, so after the Hokulea's original voyages, it then did this whole series of voyages through the 1990s where they went to all the different parts of Polynesia. then they went to Japan. They went to Alaska. Yeah. They went to all these places. And then they did this round-the-world thing with three yeah. years. Mm-hmm. And they took the canoe everywhere. And I think that that was part. They actually have a vision of their of their mission as a um, <laughs> as uh, ambassadors and that is yeah. their their sense of their ambassadorial relation is you know i vision of themselves is actually beyond polynesia yeah. so i think it is part of that creating and and then there's Moana. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, all of a sudden totally. we have a Disney movie, which is about these people and yeah. what they did. That right. you, you can't even imagine that 30 or 40 years ago. Right. 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 You know?
0: Totally. You could have but
1: Pocahontas, but you couldn't have right. Moana. But, like,
0: right. in the Bishop Museum, I mean, for, there's so much to say about the Bishop Museum. Like, first first of all, there's a shrine to, to, to Peter Buck, to, to Rangi Hiroa, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. where you see, like, his personal items there. This is a New Zealand... Um, Maori guy who became an anthropologist yep. and curator of the Bishop Museum. But but also the wayfinding stuff is such a huge part of how the museum presents now. Like right. there were these, mm-hmm. you know, movies where people testifying about what they felt like when they saw the Hakuleya. Um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: It's
2: just wild. Well, it, I mean, it's sort of such a concrete uh, embodiment of the agency, right?
1: That and also it is, if you think about it, what is the one thing that would be emblematic of that people? <laughs> it would right. be the canoe. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. that's how they because got there. Because that's
0: where you are. I mean, that's yeah. the... They
1: can't yeah. be there without the canoe. Yeah. Like, it's, they couldn't... Every one of them right. has a canoe in his background. You yeah. Know? yeah. This yeah. is the thing that I when I re- I was thinking about my, my ancestry and my husband's ancestry. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking about it. My ancestry is this kind of murky, I mean, I don't know, right. battles or whatever. And his is like canoes. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. That's if you go back far. Mine
0: now. is beet fields mm-hmm. all the way back. Yeah. back right? <laughs> we, have, we have very definite evidence of beets. There's there's lots yeah. of beets in our Mine is talcum powder. (laughs) Really? Uh, Interesting. Mm. That's great. Um, Well, I wish we had more time to talk about Peter Buck, because I think he's incredible. But um, maybe we should pivot at this point to To our
2: recallable books. Recallable books, books. yes. All right. Well, maybe I'll start because it's sort of connected to what we were saying, um, in the sense that it's a work by an anthropologist, um, Nancy Munn. Um, And I think this is sort of an interesting example of the question of kind of who can write about whom and and also maybe a related question that we haven't talked about as much, but I find really fascinating is sort of who is generating theory and who's generating information, right? So the kind of stereotype, the and it's not completely untrue, of... Um, you know European and northern anthropologists is that they kind of come with their theories and then they're just collecting they imagine that they're the ones who are providing the thinking and then you know people in the global south are just providing the so-called data right yeah. <laughs> but one of the things that I love about this book the fame of gawa which is um, by Nancy Munn, is that it's really proposing a theory of value um, and it's based on uh, the the um, the Transformation of trees to canoes and the voyaging out from Gawa, uh, which is a um, island that's sort of part of the Trobriand uh, system, um, and was involved in some of the Kula ring uh, mobility. Is involved in some of the Kula R- ring mobility that that um, Malinowski wrote about. Um, but it's really about. He, she defines at one point value as the this is a little bit of a jargony phrase, but uh, the expansion of intersubjective space-time, but it's really this idea of like expansion and sort of moving out. and by moving out you're sort of you're um, increasing this notion, which she translates as fame. but she really thinks of it as a theory of value. and that that theory has been you know the kind of idea of value as action, as motion, as sort of transforming the still into the moving. Um, has been picked up by many other anthropologists. Probably the most famous one is David Graeber, uh, but many other anthropologists. And really taking it as a theory, not just kind of like this is some evidence and we're going to apply our theory to it. But let's think about, you know, this is how Gawans think about it. And what would it what does that tell us about the world and not just the world? Um Ma'am.
0: It really puts the great American road novel into a more global perspective. <laughs> exactly. I appreciate that. Like yeah, Jack sure. Kerouac, eat, eat your canoe out. Right, yeah, And It definitely yeah.
2: has a masculinist. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Jack Kerouac, that uh, is very interesting. And a cast yeah. to it. So. so, that's
0: my. All right. Well, there needs to be a Thelma and Louise side of it too. Uh, then right, we get there. Right, yeah. All right. Cool. And Christina, can we ask you?
1: Well, so um, I guess a book that is not—it's—it's it's fairly recent. It's by Sam Lowe, L O W, and it's called Hawaii Rising. Mm. And I'm basically giving it a shout out because um, Sam is uh, re- actually related to Nainoa Thompson and he is a filmmaker. He made a film about the Hokulea a long time ago. Uh, he's been a documentary filmmaker for a long time and he wrote this book about the um, – these episodes we were talking about when they took the canoe to Tahiti in the first um, – in the 1970s but he did it based almost entirely on interviews Mm. with Mm -hmm. the people who were the the players the people who mm -hmm. were there Mm -hmm. and it's so it's basically a documentary record um, literally like a documentary film a documentary record of a what is to me I think one of the single most important kind of episodes in this history and so it was a huge service to mankind to get that stuff on the record and he had access in a way that a lot of people wouldn't have because he was kind of related Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. and so people would talk to him, and so forth. And yeah. um, he published it a couple of years ago. Um, and you know, you can get it on Amazon. Yeah, <laughs> and we'll, that sounds we'll great. We'll provide a link on our website. Yeah. I just want to
0: clarify because I feel like this is a this is a New York Timesy kind of thing. So you, no relation between Ninoa Thompson and Christine Thompson. Oh, right, is that that's
1: right. No <laughs> okay. relation. And
0: you've never even actually met him, right?
1: I, I, I actually haven't. I met yeah. his mother, and I've met his, you know, yeah, uncle. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but,
1: yeah. Oh, I and mean, his yeah. brother-in-law. Yeah. yeah. And his sister. <laughs> okay,
0: I'd love to meet the guy. Very impressive. Um, okay, so I am actually okay. I, I sort of have, I want to take a slightly different angle, which sounds academic, and then soon veers from the sublime to the ridiculous. Is that I wanna? I didn't I didn't want to cite the Gulag Archipelago, but I did kind of want to mm-hmm. think about the archipelagic in an academic context. So I went looking for archipelagic articles, like articles that thought about. Islanding, And maybe I just did the wrong kind of search, but I was really struck that like since John Pocock way back in the 70s, I think, mm-hmm. proposed thinking about a British archipelago, there really has not been a lot of serious kind of upscaling or mainstreaming of the notion of um, like Thinking about the significance of sort of sea of islands thinking in terms Mm -hmm. of shaping how where our paradigms come from so basically my recallable book is like why aren't there more things about the archipelagic imagination and then the ridiculous turn to it is that I do want to recommend a book that I probably have even recommended it before I want to recommend uh, Ursula Le Guin's Earthsea trilogy which is I, I make no claims that it has anything Polynesian to it at all, though she has this sort of anth- interesting anthropological background, but it's it's archipelagic. Like, the structure of the books is that people move from island to island. Like, the opening line is, the island of Gaunt, a single mountain that lifts its peak a mile above the storm-wrecked Northeast Sea, so it's probably a volcanic island, is a land famous for wizards. And then the structure of, as she herself has said, the structure is basically like, Every island has its stories and that people move from island to island and the stories change as like, you know, as the stars change. Um, so, you know, if you're interested in the concept of the archipelagic um, and but you want to read a kid's book, then read The Wizard of Earth. A really amazing kid's book. A really amazing kid's book.
1: It's actually available now. All six volumes are now available in one volume Mm. with notes by Le Guin, sort of contemporary notes about each piece. Yeah,
0: and actually her notes about what she was up to and her notes also about things she regrets about earlier visions of, Mm -hmm. not so much of race because I think she's pretty great on race, but on gender, like she's yes, She's mm-hmm. interesting on her own. Mm-hmm. How she feels in like her she was evolution. trapped by yeah yeah yeah, by yeah. sort of male centric narratives that she kind of managed to evade later on.
2: Well, it's a certain version, a certain kind of feminism that she evokes in that one that she actually gets past in other things. That's interesting. true. Yeah yeah yeah. That's right.
0: Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm just gonna end um, this really awesome and generous conversation with thank, Christina. Thank you so much. I'm just gonna end by saying, recall this book is hosted by John Plotz and Elizabeth Ferry. Uh, music comes from a song by Eric Chou. Chatter- and Barbara Cassidy. Sound editing is by Claire Ogden. Website design and social media is done by Matthew Schratz from the English department. We always want to hear from you with your comments, criticism, or suggestions for future episodes. So you know how to email us directly. You can contact us via social media or our website. And finally, this is the main thing. I know I say it over and over, but I always feel it and mean it. If you enjoyed today's show, please be sure to write a review or to rate us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast. Uh, You may be interested in checking out past episodes which include topics like opiate addiction, um, the iconology of strong female politicians with uh, Manduhai Boyendaguer, old and new media, as well as interviews with Sam Delaney, Madeline Miller, and a forthcoming one with the Chinese sci-fi great Shishian Liu. So from all of us here to all of you, thanks for listening. <laughs>